Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be worshiping in song with you. Now, let's turn to that passage of Scripture that Dan read for us just a little while ago. During the month of December, we'll just take a brief break from the Gospel of John study that we have been doing, and we're just going to review some of these characters of Christmas, and it seemed appropriate just to begin with Mary today. So if you'll look there at Luke chapter 1, and we'll just work through verses 26 and following all the way up to 38. When we think about Christmas, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of really the great miracle, the great promise there of this God-child being born. And it's one that we want to just fasten our faith to. You think about this miracle as well as all the miracles, it can serve as a refreshment to our faith to see what God has done and what God is capable of doing. As we think about this, I'm reminded of it. It's not just enough uh, to, I'm, my clicker isn't working, guys. I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try a reboot here. Maybe you, can hit, maybe you can hit the slides with me, or we won't do it. There we go. There's a vehicle in space right there, okay? Several years ago, uh, my wife uh, said, I am done with minivans. I want to have an SUV. And so I said, all right. You're the one who drives this, and if you would like to get this, you can. And so we found in 2007, Nissan Armada. And between her and I, it's been a source of much conflict because uh, she, she loves this vehicle, but I hate the gas that it, that it requires to drive it. And so she has argued ever since we had it that this is a good vehicle. It is a reliable vehicle. Well, this summer we said, okay, well, let's, let's see how good, let's see how reliable it is. We're going to put it to the test. It's one thing to believe that. It's another thing to load up your family and drive five to 6,000 miles out west on a big road trip. And at the conclusion of that, guess what we concluded? Melody was right again. The vehicle got us there, and we arrived home safely. So it's one thing to believe it's another thing to put your safety or your, your trust in that. It reminds me of a story of a young girl that was on an airplane. Right next to her was a businessman. And this young lady had the Bible opened up on her lap. And as she was reading the scriptures, this businessman looked over and says, You don't actually believe that Bible, do you? And she says, Oh, yes. I have one that has had my sins forgiven based on what Jesus has done. He said, you don't really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, do you? Well, actually, I do believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. That, that, that's what the Scriptures says. But do you, do you actually think that one day you will see Jonah again in heaven? To which the little girl replied, Absolutely. Jesus has died for my sins, and I, I plan on seeing Jonah one day in heaven. And the old the businessman said to her, what, what if you don't see Jonah there? What if Jonah is not in heaven? 
And the little girl said, well, then you will see him another time. (laughs) So it's not enough just to say, "I, I believe in some of these things. But what world trust and what believe is, is to put your life, to put your faith into them. So let's take this passage of Scripture that we are, I think, very acquainted with. And I suspect this would have been a great study to ask questions and have you kind of round out this passage together because all of us are familiar with these verses. But what I'd like to do is just kind of work through them verse by verse, and then we'll back up and we'll talk about three different applications to this passage. In verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, In the sixth Month. Now, what does that mean? Taking a a step back from a larger context, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is what is called 400 years of what? Silence. Is that there's been 400 years of past since God has allowed a prophet to speak his word or that there is evidence that God has performed a miracle. Now, the first time that God broke through that silence takes place earlier in Luke chapter 1. You probably remember this story of a priest named Zechariah who was advanced in his age. You had a wife named Elizabeth. She, too, was old and barren. That means she had never had a child before. And while Zechariah is in offering incense... He is visited by an angel, a messenger of God named Gabriel, that says, God has heard your prayer, and your wife will give birth to a child. And that's going to be a special child. That child will be the forerunner. That child will be John the Baptist. And we see his response, this old priest, Zechariah, that he didn't necessarily believe that, so As a result, he will be silent. He will be mute for the entire pregnancy of this boy. So when we read here in verse 26, in the sixth month, the sixth month is that this woman, Elizabeth, is now six months pregnant. Then it says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. How many of you are are born and raised in such a small town that when you tell people where you're from, all you get is a blank stare? That's me. That's me. So what you have to do is you tell them where you're from, but then you tell them a region or another city that is more familiar to them. But that's what we see here in verse 26. When Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing these words... He was fairly confident that no one would have ever heard of Nazareth. So he says to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This was a village of a couple of hundred people. It was about 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee, about six miles from the the road or the highway that was close. It was not known for having a great water supply. There was a weak well that was right in the middle of the village. And yet, God's word is going to travel to this little village named Nazareth. It says there in verse 27, 
that this angel, Gabriel, the same one that went with the priest earlier in this chapter, is now to visit, as it says there, a virgin. Don't lose sight of this, that God has broke these 400 years of silence first by speaking to a man that we would probably conclude is over the hill. And then he also breaks the silence about the first words about the Savior coming to a teenage girl. Often the people that get overlooked by society play a central role in God's redeeming story. To a word to our ladies today, you matter to God. And you see that evidenced here by this word coming directly to Mary. It says there in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed. Now, many of you could recite this better than I could. There's three phases of a Jewish wedding. First, there was the engagement. And this often was, if not always, was arranged. Parents would get together and say, how about your daughter marry my son? And and I think that could have dipped all the way back into early childhood. You could have a a two-year-old and another two- or three-year-old, and the parents could get together and say, let's arrange that one day our parents will marry. If that's true, you could imagine there a collection of girls at the playground near the, the swing set, looking across the playground at a boy in a slide with snot coming down his nose, with hair that it hadn't been combed ever, with body odor, and one of the girls saying, that's my future husband. And the girl saying, let us pray for you, sister. So there was the engagement, but then that would eventually enter into the second phase of this commitment, this betrothal where that was binding. In fact, the only way it could be broke is by either a divorce or by death. And that's where we find Mary in this passage here in verse 27. That betrothal might last for a year. And then the third phase of that marriage would be the wedding itself, where the groom would come unannounced. And there would be a great ceremony, a great celebration, and that marriage would be consummated. It says there in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. In our day, I think I've seen this recently, that there has been an interest in learning our own family trees and our lineage. There's TV shows like Finding Your Roots on PBS. People have this curiosity of like, where did I come from? Are there any famous people that I have in my ancestry? Well, in the first century, they did not need the internet for that, nor did they need a TV show because they knew their lineage. In fact, you can look at in Matthew 1 how the lineage of Joseph is laid out. It says there in verse 27 that Joseph, this man that Mary is committed to, is of the house of David. That just means that he is a part of David's family tree. And found in 2 Samuel 7, there is this covenant that God makes with David. He says to him, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the thrones of his kingdom 
forever. So there was this promise that from David's lineage would be another ruler that would rule forever. And then the last word in my translation for verse 27 is that virgin has a name. And her name is Mary. We could find its origins to Moses' sister, Miriam. So first thing you have there is God's word. Now let us consider verses 28 and 29 where you have God's favor. And he came to her, that's the angel, and he said, Greetings, O favored one. This word in Greek is this word grace. Greetings. The Lord has grace upon you. Indeed, she would have grace and favor. We might go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and see Eve as the first woman that she would give birth to children that would be known for their sin and their sin nature. But God has sovereignly chosen Mary as one that would get to give birth to the Savior who would save people from their sins. And then it says in verse 28, she's not only favored, but the Lord is with you. We hear the same phrase in the book of Judges, chapter 6, when, when Gideon is greeted, the Lord is with you. He supports you. Now, the response to this, this is in verse 29. Well, she is greatly troubled at this saying. Why? Because she is aware of her sin. Why in the world would God have favor or grace upon me? Why would his blessings be so evident to me that this angel would say that he is with me, that he supports me? In verse 30, and the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, just a reassurance of this favor. And then verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son. There are six different things that we're going to hear about Jesus here. So here's the first, that he is a son, that he is a human being. Now, why is it significant that this Savior not only be God, but also be man? In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says that humans are born under the law, but each of them have broken the law. Therefore, it's necessary that a a perfect human that has not broken the law, that person is required to redeem and provide forgiveness. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that blood was shed to cover sins, this this sacrificial system. And Jesus would shed his blood to fulfill that system. In addition, a human had to be able to relate to our weaknesses and temptations, yet not fall into them. So the first thing we see here about Jesus is that he is a human being. Verse 31, he will, you will bear a son. And then the second thing, you shall call his name Jesus. This is a very common name in the first century. It's the equivalent to our Joshua. That is, the Lord saves. Yahweh saves. And so whenever you would offer his name, 
In a way, you are sharing the gospel. He is the one who will save you from your sins. A third thing we see here about this baby that is to be born is in verse 32. He will be great. And if ever there were an understatement, if ever there were a word that has been ruined and and now misunderstood, it would be there as Jesus is described as great. It means he is different. He is the great high priest that all the other high priests have only prepared us for. He is the great prophet that all the other prophets pale in comparison. But he offers the great salvation. This morning in a Bible study, a few of us men, we were, we were talking about the significance of Jesus' death and his sacrifice. I think we probably understand this principle of substitution. That is, if, if, if something happened to Jack and he committed a really heinous crime and he were to be sentenced to life in prison, we get the idea that I could stand before the judge and say, if you're a good and righteous judge, instead of sentencing Jack, would you allow me to step in as a substitute and punish me instead of him? We get that. But let's say it was not only Jack, but it was also Mark. Now, if you know both of these men, you know that they're very capable of such acts. <laughs> and let's say that they both have, have committed some sort of a crime that is worthy of, of life imprisonment. And I go before the judge and say, I understand what Jack has done. I've understood what Mark has done. And will you let me stand in their place and take their punishment? I suspect the judge would say, who do you think you are? That you could take the punishment for two different people. And now, what if everyone in this room had committed such a crime? that was worthy of life imprisonment or the death penalty. And I went before the judge and I said, I know those people and they are sinners and they are worthy of the the death penalty, the life imprisonment. But would you put it upon me? Who am I as one person to take all of your punishment? Truly this God-man would have to be great, infinitely great, to be able to pay the price for all of our sins. And this is the point that the angel here is making to Mary. He indeed will be great. The the fourth thing we see here of this child that will be born is that he is to be the son of the Most High. As it says there in verse 32, and will be called the Son of the Most High. In other words, Mary, this child is not only going to be in your family pictures, he he is not only going to be identified as your son, but as God the Father's son as well. And he will reign forever. Look what it says in verse 32, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
That's who you're going to have in your womb, Mary, is this great Jesus. Now, in verse 34, there's a question that just sort of percolates to the top for Mary. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think it's important for us to understand that this question is not not birthed in this idea of questioning the angel. It's not... It's not demanding a sign. Rather, it's just logical. I've never been with a man before. How is it possible that I'm going to conceive? So here's the answer in verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Here's a magnificent word picture, that word overshadow. We see that other places in the Scriptures. I mentioned to you that Mary's origins is the name Miriam, who was the sister of Moses. During Moses' ministry in the early parts of the Scripture, there were times where the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, would overshadow people. And you would see the, the, the face that they had been with God. We also see this glory of God overshadowing people at the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament when Jesus was an adult and he visited the disciples, along with Elijah and Moses. But now we see the same language being used to describe how Mary will become pregnant. I remember when I was in seminary, I was in this Old Testament survey class, and the professor had us just buy several different books. One of those books that we had to read, become familiar with, was all sorts of overviews of pagan religions during the first century. And what the professor wanted us to see was that Christianity was not the only religion that had a virgin birth. But all those other religions, those pagan religions, had a significant difference from what we see here in Luke 1. For them, they had this mythology of of a pagan god actually having relations with a virgin woman. But that's not at all what we see here in Luke 1. There was no relations between God, the Holy Spirit, and this young lady named Mary. There was a miracle here that took place where he allowed her to become pregnant. And here's the sixth quality then of this baby, as it says there in verse 35. He will be called holy. No wonder he will be called holy, because all other children are born into sin, but not this child. He has a a miraculous conception. David would say in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But this is not the case for Jesus. And then in verse 36, we have a sign. I would, I would ask you to, to notice 
that Mary doesn't ask for a sign as we see in other places of scripture, but in kindness, the angel says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this sixth month with her who was called barren. I know you're not asking for this, Mary, but I want you to see that what I'm saying to you is actually going to come true. And let me just give you a little indicator of what God is up to. You know your relative, Elizabeth, that is advanced in age and known as barren? Yeah, she's already six months pregnant. In verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. So how do you respond to when the words come to you? When favor has been pronounced to you, when God's plan has been laid out to you, and and there is a sign that's been presented to you, well, you believe. And that's what we see here in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. Nothing that I have is mine. The clothes that I wear, the kitchen that I'm in, the the home that is over my head, all of this has been provided by my kind Father. And if this is His will for my life, then by the grace of God, I will step into it. I suspect she fully was aware that there'd be a stigma attached to her the rest of her life. She is an unwed mother. She was fully aware that this would disappoint her parents when she announced to them that she was pregnant. This would put her at risk, her engagement with her fiancé, Joseph. This could mean the threat of actually being stoned for being Pregnant outside of marriage. But if this was God's will for her, she stepped into it. Now, what do we make of this passage? Let me give to you a a few thoughts to answer that. Today, we could still say this. God still speaks today through his written word. When we read through the scriptures, we see that God would speak through angels He would speak through prophets, sometimes through visions and dreams. Today, he still speaks and he uses the Bible to speak to us. And if you saying to yourself today, well, it's been 400 years of silence in my life. What I would ask you, when's the last time you've picked up the word and read it and pondered it and memorized it? And heard it preached to you and applied it to your life. God still speaks today through his written word. A couple of months ago, we got a real specific illustration of this. Our family was in the morning doing our family devotion. We were working through the book of Proverbs. And we happened to be in Proverbs 27th. It was the 27th day of the month. And we got to verse 1 and we read Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And as a family, we just discussed what that verse meant. 
We can have plans, and we can think that our plans are going to be fulfilled that day, but in a moment, God may just override those plans. A little bit later that day, as I went to the church, the family uh, went out to be with some other families and have some fun. Our oldest, through a freak accident, broke his arm, ended up in an emergency room, and a series of appointments, and a surgery, and it seems like countless rehab stints. And we went back as a family to what Proverbs 27.1 says, For you do not know what a day may bring. In a moment's notice, God may change what you had planned. God still speaks to us today. This week, I've been working in our basement, trying to tear things apart, hopefully put them back together. And I was listening to an autobiography of one of my favorite missionaries, uh, a woman, a, a, a little woman named Gladys Aylward. And this is a one that uh, just sensed the call of God on her life from England to, to go to China. And even though she kind of flunked out of school, they said, you're not smart enough for mission life. I don't know who you think you are, but she didn't have any agency kind of support her. She just said, I believe God wants me to go, and, and I'm going to go. And, and there was countless stories in this great biography of hers, but one stood out to me. Where she was staying in this little village where she was taking care of orphans, the Japanese army came in and started bombing the village, and so there was just chaos for, for many, many years. And there would be soldiers that would come in and out, and she would try to take care of them, and, and, and she would also share the word with them. And one day, there was a group of soldiers, including the commanding officer, and she just began to share with them what the Bible had to say about their lives. And then they left. One of the, the commanding officer came back to her later and says, Who told you about my life? She said, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, someone told you about a lot of detail in my life, and I demand to know who it is. And she said, I'm taking care of these widows. I take care of soldiers. Sir, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm coming back tomorrow, and I'm going to ask the same question. And he did. Who told you about my life? How do you know such details about my life? And this missionary said, I I don't know what you're talking about. I was there when you read the Bible and you taught us what the Bible had to say and you were talking to me about my life. How is it possible that you know the details about my life? Gladys was saying, God's word still speaks. Through the written word. And when we read it, we see our own lives, as one has said, that we don't so much read the word, but the word reads us. So number one, is God's word still speaks to us. And it is used through the Bible, through the written word. Secondly, God still shows favor to the unfavorable. Mary is a recipient of God's grace. There's no mention here in this story or anywhere else in the New Testament that she serves as a mediator or one that gives grace. She was a sinner in need of a Savior. And why do I know that? 
Well, this story springs into a song in chapter 1, verse 46, where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She needed to be saved in the same way that you and I do. And she was so taken back by the favor and God's presence in her life, it caused her to shudder. How is it that I would find this in God? But here's the good news. God is still extending favor to those who are unfavorable, to the down and out, and to sinners. His favor is demonstrated and that Jesus came to die in your place that you might have a relationship with the Father. Is there any evidence here in the New Testament that, that Mary has a special status? Well, listen to what it says here in Luke eleven twenty seven, where a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus responded, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. There was another time in Luke, in Luke 8, verse 21, where Jesus says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. As we look at this story, I think it's appropriate for us to say, Indeed, Mary was favored. So am I. And if you have received the grace of God, so are you. And you are able to enjoy a close relationship with Jesus in the same way that Mary enjoyed a close relationship with Jesus. God still shows favor to the unfavorable. And then finally, God still offers an opportunity to believe. The word of God has come. Favor has been granted. The plan has been laid out that you are to become a follower of this Jesus. To take the news of the good news and great joy and share it with others. To walk and apply the benefits of the gospel to all areas of your life. And there is the invitation in the same way that Mary said, well, I'm just a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There is an invitation, an opportunity for you to do the same. Provision has been made for me to have my sins forgiven. May it be to me according to God's word. Listen, we know what it's like to put our trust in a doctor. We visit a doctor, and he gives us a very severe diagnosis. The diagnosis is unless you have this surgery, you will die within six months. And so we place our trust into that doctor's hands. And we go under and have this four to six hour surgery. And we come out, and by the grace of God, we have more years to live. We know what it's like to put our faith in a, a financial advisor. To say, here's my life savings. Buddy, I'm, I'm trusting in you that you will be able to do something with that. And when I am advanced in my age, 
I'll be able to have something to live off of. It's not enough just for us to say, what a wonderful truth this is. That Jesus is not only God, but he is also man, that he was born of a virgin. The question is, have you put your life on this? In June, we took a road trip out west. We went to the convention. While we were there, we decided to take in a few national parks, and we found ourselves at a campground, at Cherry Valley Campground, outside of Yosemite National Park. As you walk down from where the campground was, there was this beautiful body of water, blue haze, and and there was a, a large tree that hung over that water, and on it was a rope with an invitation, really, come hang on me, come swing out on this rope. Now, I've had some experiences with ropes before, and not all of them have held me when I've swung. And so when I saw that rope, there was something within me that says, that looks like it can hold me. I think it can hold me. But the only way to really determine if it will hold me is to grab a hold of it and to put all my weight on that rope. And I wonder, is this life, this forgiveness of sins is being extended to you today? Have you reached out? Have you received it? And have you put all of your weight, banking all of eternity on what this Jesus would do and has done for you? This is your only hope of being saved. This is your only hope of having your sins forgiven. The invitation is extended to you to do that this morning, to do that today. And church family, those of you who have already trusted Christ, don't lose sight of the miracle that is present here. And if this God can do the impossible by taking a teenage daughter, teenage girl, and allowing her to conceive, what have you given up on in your life? What have been some things that you used to pray for but have kind of stopped praying for because they haven't been answered yet? I think the Lord could remind you today that He is still all about doing the impossible. Look to Him. Trust Him. And let's see the miracle that He will perform. Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. As Scott, the music team comes. Lord, I thank you for taking this passage of Scripture that we love to read during the Christmas time. Thank you for breaking the silence and sending an angel, a messenger, to speak to an old man, to speak to a young girl, And we get to hear what those words are. Thank you that this child that is born was not only God. He is man and he identifies with our sins. He shed blood and there is no longer sacrifices that are needed because of what he did on our behalf. Thank you that he fulfills the law. And then, friends, today, I just ask, you've heard the word today. 
There's, there's grace available. There's favor available to you today. Will you seize the opportunity right now to say, forgive me of my sins. I place my faith, my trust, like grabbing a hold of a rope and putting all my weight, all my life into what Jesus has done for me. That's what I am doing right now to forgive me. I want him to be the ruler of every area in my life. You can, you can say that to him today. You can trust him today that you might be saved from your sins and walk with him, not only the days of this life, but for all eternity. Lord, I thank you for this message that reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. And help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to look through the eyes of faith, no matter what challenge is before us, to know that you are capable of doing all things and grant us the the faith to trust you through those. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.